We read this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin for Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his coming, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one that we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one that you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Uh, all right. Um, one more question for you. I had a lot of questions this morning. Uh, anybody get a spam phone call this week? Anybody call from the dealership services or anything like that? Uh, anybody get a, a spam email uh, at all this week? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. They, they, they show up everywhere. Uh, there are some really well-known scams that, that come through there. Well, one of the oldest ones, the ones that, that, that you know about, is the, the Nigerian prince, right? That The person who's got the millions of dollars, they just need to move it around, hide it from somebody, and, and they are willing to share with you a significant amount of that money if they, they'll hide it. That's the Nigerian prince uh, email. There's another one that is, is a little bit trickier because the email comes from somebody that you know. Sometimes it is a family member. And they are stranded someplace far, far away. Uh, they, they are stranded in Europe someplace. Well, that's funny. I saw them at Walmart last night. Uh, I don't know how they got that far, but they are stranded. And they need money right now. And then, so you need to send that money to them right now. I was looking up different scams from the spam emails this week. Here, here's my favorite one. I've never gotten this one, and I'm a little disappointed. It's a combination of the two. Uh, it, it is an email that says that there is a Nigerian astronaut who has been stranded at the Russian Space Center for 14 years, and they need enough money to get him home. I like that it combines, you know, this is someone who's stranded. It's the, uh, I, I like that. I'm disappointed I've never gotten that one. All of these emails, all of these messages that come to us are a reminder that you are a target. You are a target. People desire to deceive you. They are always out there trying to deceive you. And then we have to be reminded that even the smartest people, get caught up in these things. People that you know, you can't believe that they get caught up in that thing. You, you understand that large organizations, school boards, hospitals, states, all those kind of things get caught up because somebody was deceived by some kind of email. You are a target. People are trying to deceive you, and even the smartest people can get caught up in these things. I would tell you that as true as that is through your phone and as true as that is through your email, I would tell you that that is just as true in your spiritual life, maybe even more so. The original scammer, the original deceiver was Satan in the garden.
You see, one of the things that, that Jesus has said that even Satan would agree with is that your soul is worth more than your money. And so if your money is after attack, if people are after your physical resources, understand that even more so there is a force, there is a desire to deceive you that runs even deeper than that. The onslaught of the deception that comes after us all of the time can be so exhausting for us emotionally and spiritually in our lives. But I would tell you that the good news the good news that I would want you to know this morning is even in the parts of our life that we need the most help, those places that are constantly under attack and that we are constantly being deceived by, even those places where we need the most help is the place where God most wants to be at work in our lives. See, the Apostle Paul here says, I am concerned that your minds will be led astray. But at the same time, that is the place where Jesus wants to transform who we are, is at the very mind level. Again, he is not trying to dress up our outsides. He is trying to transform us from the inside out, from our minds, and say this is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. So, if we are targets, and if there are people who are out to deceive us, and even some of the smartest people that we know can get tripped up, how are we supposed to defend ourselves in this kind of environment? Well... I have a few things that I want to point out to you from the passage of Scripture. Uh, the one thing that I want to point out to you at the very beginning is that you need to develop a deception radar. You need to develop a deception radar. See, Paul is concerned that your thoughts will be led astray. Hey, this is the very heart of your spiritual life, your mind, your heart, the very places where, where you think. And he gives an example of this concern. He says, I am concerned that your minds will be led astray. He says, like when the serpent, through its cunning, led Eve astray. You remember that from the opening pages of God's word, that there is a whisper from the serpent into Eve's ear. There, there is a seed of doubt. There is a question of authority where the serpent says to Eve, living in paradise, living with all perfection that has ever been, that the serpent says, did God really say that you couldn't eat of this fruit. Now, I wasn't there, and I can't really unpack all of that, but I can't tell you whether that is a question of, Eve, did you understand it correctly? Did you hear that? Is this a factual question? I also think that there's the real possibility that this is a straight question of authority. Eve, you live in this garden. You walk in this garden every day. All of these trees are here. All of this fruit is here. Did God really say that this one tree is different than all the other trees? That this one tree is the tree that you shouldn't eat from? Did God really say that? And I think embedded into that question is, who is God to tell you what you can snack on today? 
Who, who is God to give you the authority that says you can eat these things and you can't eat these things? To your eyes, don't they all look the same? Don't they all look good? Don't you have some curiosity of what this is? So I don't know exactly what the strategy and the unfolding of that conversation with the serpent and Eve was. But it was cunning it was intended to deceive, and it cut at the authority of what God says. I will tell you that Satan continues to do that work of deception in our world constantly. And I will tell you that while Satan is the source of that deception, Satan has many, many spokespersons that are his partners in terms of deception. I think you can think of some of those partners in terms of deception. You can, uh, you, you can think of some of those other voices that, that whisper, that sow seeds of doubt, that question the authority of God. And so there is this constant onslaught of deception and cunning, questioning the authority of God. I could put those in a couple of different categories. Sometimes that deception comes from just a voice that is anti-God. It denies the existence of God. It denies the authority of God. And we can hear that voice in our culture, in our extended culture. We can find pockets of it where it's louder, and it seems to be constantly present in the world today that there is a voice of deception that is anti-God. And it's there. We swim in that world. I would also tell you that, that I think that there's another category that comes in terms of deception that is anti-Christ. Hey, in fact, the New Testament tells us several different times about these voices that will come to us that are anti-Christ. Now, sometimes we, we think about the word anti-Christ as the great villain of history, the great villain of prophecy. But I want you to know that more times in the New Testament it shows up and says, this is the opposite of Christ. And that includes a doctrinal component. It, it, it says people who say that Christ is not God, that is antichrist. But I would also tell you that I think that it's not just a doctrinal component that is antichrist. I think it's a character component that is antichrist. I think sometimes part of the deception that Satan wants to bring into our life is for us to hit all the doctrinal checkboxes about Jesus, but not let Jesus change our character and our spirit, and our tone of who we are. It is possible, and I think that Satan would love for us to pass a true-false test on the character and the doctrine of Christ, the character and the doctrine of, of God, but for it never to seep into our lives and to change us, and for us to never have the idea that, that who Jesus is is supposed to become who I'm supposed to be. In fact, I think part of that deception that comes that's anti-Christ is to allow us to choose and believe and adhere to all of the right doctrines but for our lives to look more like Satan than to look like Jesus. I think there are some people who 
in history would have walked with Jesus day by day and saw the character of Jesus and saw his spirit and saw the way that he interacted with lost people, saw the way that he interacted with vulnerable people, the way that he interacted with, with people he needed, the way he interacted with everyone. And they watched the spirit of Christ in those places. And then they would see sometimes people who carry his name today. Like, wait, there must be another Jesus someplace because that's not the Jesus that I knew and that I watched and I walked with. There is a deception that is attacking us that is anti-God, it is anti-Christ, it is anti-doctrinal adherence, and it also cuts and says, you don't really have to act like Jesus, just claim the right doctrines. You see, Paul says, I am worried that you are being, that your minds are being led astray. Paul probably had a bunch of different favorite churches. Churches that he liked, churches that cared for him. And you can see the affection that he has in so many places. But one of the churches that I think that Paul particularly had a deep affection for was the church in Berea. And the story of the church in Berea is found in Acts chapter 17, uh, centering right there at the beginning of the chapter. Paul has been going through a, a difficult season where every time he goes into a town, he goes to the synagogue, opposition immediately comes up. He, he's beaten, he's thrown out of the city, and it's just, it's a rough go. And then he comes into the city of Berea, and he begins to preach the gospel of Jesus. And it says that they were more honorable people because they listened and they opened up the word and tested what Paul was saying compared to the word. See, Paul says, I'm concerned that your minds are being led astray. And I think one of the things that you and I need to be careful in this environment with all of this noise, all of these voices that are speaking all of these words, that we need to be cautious that we don't just nod our heads to everything that's said. Just because it's in the air, just because somebody says it inside of the church, outside of the church, it needs to be tested with the Word of God. <laughs> we have a little game we play at our house every once in a while, is, and it's called, Is This Milk Bad? Uh, open up the milk, one of us smells it. Ooh, I think this is terrible. This is gone. This is awful. Here, you taste it. Listen, the rule is, if you think that's rotten milk, I'm not tasting it. It does not pass the smell. I'm not interested in it. If it is rotten milk, Paul says, listen, here's my concern. There is rotten doctrine, and there is rotten teaching. And what he goes on to say in this passage of Scripture, he says, people are coming and bringing to you rotten teaching, rotten doctrine. And you continue to drink it up. We need to have a deception radar that says, wait a minute. <laughs> just because you made it sound fancy, pretty, just because you sound really convinced, just because you've got great logic behind it, just because lots of people agree with you on that, wait a minute. I'm not going to nod my head to that until I test it with the Word of God. We need to develop a deception radar. Another way in which we protect ourselves from this onslaught of deceit 
is that we belong to a healthy and invested church community. We belong to a healthy and invested church community. This is kind of an interesting part of the passage where Paul says, I am jealous for you. He says, I am jealous for you with a divine jealousy. Now, we have been trained inside of relationships to put the word jealous on the negative side of a relationship. Well, why don't you hang out with that person anymore? They were always jealous of what I was doing. Why aren't you in a relationship with that person? They were always about jealousy. And so this idea of jealousy is something usually we push away. Oh, I don't want to be a jealous person. But in this passage of Scripture, Paul says, I am jealous for you. And he's not just plain jealous. He says, but I am jealous for you with a godly or a divine jealousy. And he explains why. He says, I was the person that introduced you to Jesus. You ever played matchmaker in somebody's life? You ever seen a couple of people say, you know, they would really do well if they could meet so-and-so. You know what, I I think that they would be a a good match for so-and-so. And and you even arrange for the two of them to spend some time uh, together. And and maybe you invite them someplace together. And then you are so excited because they actually begin to to spend some time together. They they begin dating. And then you get a, a wedding invitation that says that they are getting married. And you show up to that wedding with a little extra pride and say, I did that. That that, that was my idea. This happiness that they are celebrating, that was me. I, I I made that happen. In the same way, you probably have a concern anytime that that relationship hits a couple of bumps or something goes wrong. So, oh, I hope it works out for them because I was their matchmaker. Paul says, I am jealous for you because I'm the person that introduced you to Jesus. And so I really don't want you to be led astray. He says, I have a jealousy, a divine jealousy for you. You see, we need to have somebody in our lives that cares for us in that same way. In fact, I would, I would share with you and I would challenge you that a church is supposed to function in that way inside of your lives. To have the same kind of care and concern that Paul had for this church that says, I'm worried about you that you be led astray because I'm the one that matched you to Jesus. A church should look in that same way. And in fact, looking at some of this way in which Paul relates to the church in Corinth is the same way that a church should relate to a believer. I want you to see a couple of things there. I want you to see the affection that Paul has for this church. He loves this church. He is concerned about them. He he has been their matchmaker. He has introduced them to Jesus. He loves this church. It kind of reminds me of several of the passages of Scripture that we've been looking at lately. Last Sunday morning when we looked at Isaiah chapter 40 and it talks about God as our shepherd who will come and put his arms around us and pull us to his bosom. That's the character of God in our lives. It reminds me of when we were studying through 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2. It talked about the fact that Paul says, I function as your brother and as your father and as your mother. 
because he cared about them so deeply. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he, he talks about challenging people. He talks about caring for people, but he talks about being patient with all of them. You see, a church needs to be a place that has deep affection and care and embraces you. A church needs to be a place that loves you and cares about your life. But at the same time, a church also needs to be a place that protects you. Because this is what Paul says. He says, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about some of these voices that are coming in. I'm concerned about some of the things that you're hearing. And in fact, where we are in Paul's relationship with the church in Corinth, he's been there. He's been there a couple of times. He's already written to them one letter in 1 Corinthians. This is now the second letter that he's writing to them. And really, both letters are him just dealing with areas of concern in the life of the church. Places where they have gotten their doctrine or their practice or their relationships messed up. And he says, now listen, we've got to talk about how you do worship. We've got to talk about how you do uh, the Lord's Supper. We've we got to talk about how you select uh, leaders. We have to talk to you uh, about uh, what you understand about the resurrection of Jesus. And it's just place after place that he says, I want to protect you from these other voices that will deceive you. And so part of the role of the church is to love you. But part of the role of the church is also to protect you. Part of the way in which you're protected is through the teaching of the Word of God. And then there's one other piece in terms of this relationship that Paul has with the church in Corinth. And that is, he says, I want to present you to Jesus holy and pure. And that's the role of the church, is that we are to present you to Jesus. Now what that's talking about is that it is our task, it is our role as a church, it is your role as a church, that we will present you faithful to the end. We want to help you finish the journey that you began so that there's a starting point of your spiritual journey where you say yes to Jesus Christ, that your sins are forgiven. You make him Lord and Savior of your life. And maybe that happens when you're eight. Maybe that happens when you're 80. Maybe that happens someplace in the middle. But what it says is that's the beginning of the journey. And we help you make sure that you finish that journey even more committed to Jesus than the first day you started. It means that you finish what you start. It means that you're faithful to the end. It means that all the way through life that we don't lose anybody along the way. Now understand, as a church, we don't have control over anybody's life. We don't. We don't want control over anybody's life. But it is our role to pour affection over you, to protect you, and to present you to Jesus as people who have finished the journey that he has called you to be on. Paul does this because he loves them so much, and that's what a church needs to do. It is an ungodly church that just shrugs and says, well, as long as you show up and you give a little, we'll be just fine. No. We embrace you because we love you. We protect you because we love you. And we want to present you to Jesus at the finish line and for you to be able to say that I have run the race, I've completed the race, I've finished 
what I started. And when I say that as church, I don't just mean those of us on the platform have this task. I mean that's what it means to be the body of Christ, is that we are that kind of place where we love each other, we protect each other, and we present each other to Christ. Now there is a part that you play in this journey, and that is that you need to be present inside of that community and you need to be engaged enough inside of that community so that you are known, so that you are present enough to be known, so that you are present enough to be cared for, that you are present enough to be shaped. Now listen, for Paul, he was so committed to that that it got a little awkward sometimes. In fact, this is one of the little passages of Scripture where, where Paul and the church isn't really getting along real well. That's why he says at the beginning, will you permit me to be foolish for a little longer? Do bear with me. Part of what we understand there is that people have been saying, Paul is so foolish, Paul is so silly, Paul is so stuck on certain things. And he says, yeah. <laughs> he says, let me continue to be foolish. And then he even has this comparison with the super apostles, basically other people that have shown up that have said, listen, if you thought Paul was great, wait till you get a load of me. Uh, he just upsells and says, listen, I may not be as flashy as they are. He says, but I love you, and I'm here to protect you. And because I was your matchmaker, I'm here to present you to Jesus when he comes back as a person who is faithful all the way through. We also need to protect ourselves by anchoring ourselves to the ultimate fixed point. When I was in Eunice, we had a lot of guys that worked offshore. Uh, a lot of those wells offshore uh, right now are under damage. That's part of the reason why gas is so high right now is because several of those wells are are off and those platforms are done and they would explain to me the different types of platforms that are out there and some of them you, you almost can see them from shore some of them are so far out you, you they're, 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 they're hundreds of miles out into the middle of the gulf and some of them are fixed platforms and they are they are built down all the way into the, the bottom of the, the gulf and they are fixed there but some of the ones that are in the deepest water just float they're not attached in any way other than the drilling platform. But they say what they have is they have a constant GPS monitoring system with small little motors around the edge of that platform. And so that because of GPS, it stays in place within inches of where it's supposed to be because constantly it says, this is the fixed location we're supposed to be. And whether the weather gets bad, whether there's a tide, whether there's a direction of the wind, whether there's a storm, whatever it is, that GPS keeps them in the exact same location, constantly making adjustments moment by moment so that it does not move off of that fixed place. Can you see where this is going? Jesus is that fixed place in our lives. No matter what happens in our culture, no matter what happens in our church, what happens in your family, what happens anywhere you are, we need to develop our own GPS system 
that says whether a storm comes, whether the tide is high or low, whatever happens, that we center ourselves on Jesus. In fact, this is where Paul unfolds the passage. He says, what has happened is that there are some people who are coming to you and they are teaching you a different Jesus. You want to talk about a victory. The greatest victory that Satan could ever have in your life is to deceive you about who Jesus is. Notice how soon this is happening. Jesus has only just left the room. He hasn't been gone very long, and already there are people who are teaching an alternate view of Jesus. Paul had just introduced them to Jesus, and already people are showing up and trying to teach them a different view of Jesus. They had just become followers, disciples of Jesus, when people are teaching them an opposing, deceiving view of Jesus. That fixed point that we have to stay on top of is Jesus. And so if someone comes and teaches you a Jesus that doesn't remedy sin, that's not the real Jesus. If someone comes and teaches you a Jesus who isn't fully God, That's not the real Jesus. If someone comes and teaches you a Jesus who isn't fully man, that's not the real Jesus. If someone who comes and teaches you a Jesus that doesn't change you, that's not the real Jesus. If you are taught a Jesus that just blends in with everything else, that's not the real Jesus. You see, Jesus came to transform our lives and to change who we are. If we are taught a Jesus that is for all the same things and likes all the same things that you like, that's not the true Jesus. You see, we're supposed to like and pursue all the things that Jesus pursues and not just add Jesus' shotgun to wherever it was I was going anyways. There's a lot of deception that says you can just put a Jesus sticker on anything and call it good. Jesus is God. Jesus is man. Jesus came to forgive and remedy sin, but Jesus came to change who I am. And if my life looks just the same today as it did before Jesus, then we're not really seeing the real Jesus. He comes to completely transform us. Where do we find the true Jesus? Where do we find the true Jesus? Paul says, it's the one that I taught you about. Paul has said, what I received, so I also deliver to you. Where does he receive it? He receives it from the word of God. And so we anchor our lives on Jesus Through the word of God. That's the central expression of what we do as a church. Is to teach about Jesus through the word of God. Why does this matter? Because what Paul says, he says, I am concerned that your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Why does Jesus matter so much? Because it's the whole point. 
The whole point of your faith, the whole point of my faith, is to have a simple, sincere, pure devotion to Jesus. That's what it is. For me to love and follow Jesus with every ounce of who I am. So how do we respond to that? What do we do about that? Well, I guess one of the things is I kind of want you to lift your head up and look around, not at other people, but just look around at your own life and say, have I been under attack this week? Have there been some lies, some deception, some cunning falsehoods that have been in front of me, that have been battling for my mind, doctrinal or character, that have been trying to take over and say, no, this is what you should believe. Have you been presented with something that is cunning and deceiving and false in this week? So the next question is, if so, what are you doing about it? If you are swimming in a world that is out to deceive you, how do you make sure that you don't send money to the Nigerian prince or the Nigerian astronaut? How do you make sure that spiritually you stay sound, that your mind is not led astray? I would tell you it comes from your interaction with the Word of God. I would encourage you that wherever you are in your walk, I would encourage you to take a step up. If you're here in worship this morning and that's part of your routine, man, that's fantastic. But I would challenge you to make this really anchored in your routine. Uh, to not just be here on the Sundays where it's convenient, uh, but I would say be here five out of every six Sundays. This is a fixed point. I don't mean perfect attendance. We don't give those little stickers out anymore. <laughs> Some of you remember the stickers. We don't do that. But listen, for your soul, be in a place that teaches the Word of God on a regular basis. We're celebrating the fact that our small group Bible studies on Sunday morning are back. And many of you, you're excited about that. You're plugged in. But if you're not involved in one of those small group Bible studies, man, see Michael this morning. He can't wait to lead you and help you find a class today to get plugged in so that you can not just study the Word of God, but you can talk about it. You can ask questions about it. I would encourage you to be reading the Word during the week. Some of you have devotionals. Some of you have uh, little uh, scriptures that get emailed to you. Man, eat those up. But I would encourage you to take a step up from there and not just be reading the Word of God during the week, but I would challenge you to be studying the Word of God in the middle of the week. We don't have a ton of time to unpack that, but what do I mean by study the Word of God? It can be as simple as this. Go get one of those 79-cent composition notebooks that you bought for back to school and read the Word of God with that notebook open. And when God teaches you something, write it down. When you have a question about something, write it down. When it reminds you about something that you read someplace else in the Word, 
write it down. When God tells you to do something, <laughs> write it down. Studying the Word of God isn't the most complicated thing in the world. But it is how we protect ourselves from being led astray in our minds so that we can have a pure and sincere devotion to Christ. Let me pray for you.